Chapter One of Superwomen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Superwomen by Albert Payson Terhune. Chapter One Lola Montez, the dancer who kicked over a throne. Her Majesty's Theatre in London one night in 1843, was jammed from pit to roof. Lumley, the astute manager, had whispered that he had a find. His whisper had been judiciously pitched in a key that enabled it to penetrate St. James Street clubs, Park Lane boudoirs, even city counting rooms. The managerial whisper had been augmented by a private view, to which many journalists and a few influential men about town had been bidden. These lucky guests had shifted the pitch from whisper to paean by word of mouth and by ardent quill the song of praise had spread. One of the latter forms of tribute had run much in this rural newspaper form a brilliant divertisement is promised by mr lumley for the forthcoming performance of the tarantula at her majesty's thursday evening will mark the british debut of the mysterious and bewitchingly beautiful castilian dancer lola montez through the delicate veins of this lovely daughter of dreamy andalusia sparkles the sang azure which is the birthright of the hidalgo families alone in her is the embodiment not alone the haughty lineage of centuries of noble ancestry but all the fire and mystic charm that are the precious heritage of the southland at a private view yesterday at which your correspondent had the honour to be an invited guest this peerless priestess of terpsichore and so on for well-nigh a column of adjective-starred panegyric which waxed more impassioned as the dictionary supply of unrepeated superlatives waned. This was before the day of the recognized press agent. Folk had a way of believing what they read. Hence the gratifyingly packed theatre to witness the mysterious Spaniard's debut. Royalty itself, surrounded by a tired gentleman-in-waiting who wanted to sit down and could not, occupied one stage-box in the front of another lolled lord ranelagh arbiter of london fashion and accepted authority on all matters of taste whether in dress dancers or duels ranelagh recently came back from a tour of the east divided with royalty the reverent attention of the stalls the pit whistled and clapped in merry impatience for the appearance of the danseuse the west end section of the house waited in equal if more subdued eagerness and prepared to follow every possible expression of ranelagh's large-toothed side-whiskered visage as a signal for its own approval or censure of the much-advertised lola's performance the first scene of the opera passed almost unnoticed then the stage was cleared and a tense hush gripped the house a fanfare of cornets, and from the wings a supple dark girl bounded. A whirlwind of welcome from pit and gallery greeted her. She struck a sensuous pose in the stage's exact center. The cornetists laid aside their instruments. Guitars and mandolins set up a throbby string overture. Lola drew a deep breath, flashed a vivid Spanish smile on the audience at large, and took the first languid step of her dance. 
then it was that the dutiful signal-seekers cast overt looks once more at lord ranelagh that ordinarily stolid nobleman was leading far forward in his stage-box mouth and eyes wide staring with incredulous amaze at the posturing andalusian before her first step was complete ranelagh's astonishment burst the shackles of silence gad he roared his excited voice smashing through the soft music and penetrating to every cranny gad it's little betty james he broke into a homeric guffaw a toady who sat beside him hissed sharply the hiss and the guffaw were cues quite strong enough for the rest of the house a sizzling swishing chorus of hisses went up from the stalls was caught by the pit and tossed aloft in swelling crescendo to the gallery where it was intensified to treble volume lola's artistically made-up face had gone white under its rouge and pearl powder at ranelagh's shout now it flamed crimson the girl danced on she was gallant a thoroughbred to the core even though she chanced to be a thoroughbred irish instead of a thoroughbred spanish and she would not be hissed from the stage but now boos mingled with the hisses and ranelagh's immoderate laughter was caught up by scores of people who did not in the least know at what they were laughing the storm was too heavy to weather lumley growled an order down swooped the curtain leaving the crowd booing on one side of it and lola raging on the other which ended the one and only english theatrical experience of lola montez the dreamy andalusian dancer from county limerick ireland that night at almax lord ranelagh told a somewhat lengthy story whose details he had picked up in the east which was repeated with interesting variations next day on rotten row a dozen clubs in a hundred drawing-rooms there is the gist of the tale some quarter century before the night of lola's london premiere and dernier an irish girl eliza oliver by name had caught the errant fancy of a great man the man chanced to be lord byron at that time loafing about the continent and trying outwardly at least to live up to the mental image of himself that was just then enshrined in the hearts of several thousand demure english schoolmates byron soon tired of miss oliver it is doubtful whether he ever saw her daughter and the irish beauty soon afterward married a fellow-countryman of her own sir edward gilbert an army captain the couple's acquaintances being overmuch given to prattling about things best forgotten gilbert exchanged to a regiment in india taking along his wife and her little girl the child had meantime been christened maria dolores eliza rosanna which for practical purposes was blue pencil down to betty seven years afterward gilbert died his widow promptly married captain craigie a solid worthy scotch comrade-at-arms of her late husband's craigie generously assumed all post-byronic responsibilities along with the marriage vows and at his expense betty was sent to scotland later to paris to be educated at sixteen the girl was a beauty and a witch as well she and her mother spent a season at bath a resort that still retained in those days some shreds of its former glory and there among the score of younger and poorer admirers 
two men sued for betty's hand one was captain james a likable susceptible not over clever army officer home on furlough from india the other was a judge very old very gouty very rich and betty's mother chose the judge out of all the train of suitors as her son-in-law elect years had taught worldly wisdom to the once gay eliza betty listened in horror to the old man's mumbled vows then at top speed she fled to captain james she told james that her mother was seeking to sacrifice her on the altar of wealth james like a truly early victorian hero rose manfully to the occasion he and betty eloped were married by a registrar and took the next outbound ship for india it was a day of long and slow voyages betty beguiled the time on shipboard by a course of behavior such as would have prevented the most charitable fellow-passenger from mistaking her for a returning missionary there were many anglo-indian officers and civilians aboard and betty's flirtations with all and sundry speedily became the scandal of the ship by the time the vessel docked in india there were dozens of women ready to spread abroad the bride's fame in her new homeland english society in india was and is in many respects like that of a provincial town in the official army set one member's business is everybody's business nor did betty take any pains to erase the impressions made by her volunteer advance agents like a blazing star she burst upon the horizon of india army life gloriously beautiful wilful capricious brilliant she speedily had a horde of men at her feet and a still larger number of women at her throat her flirtations were the talk of the mess-room and bungalow heartlessly she danced on hearts there was some subtle quality about her that drove men mad with infatuation and her husband he looked on in horrified wonder then he argued even threatened at last he shut up and took to drink betty wrote contemptuously to a friend concerning this last phase he spends his time in drinking and then in sleeping like a gorged boa constrictor james was liked by the english out there and his friends fiercely resented the domestic treatment that was turning a popular and promising officer into a sodden beast one morning james rode away over the hills and neglected to come back his wife never heard of him again and at his exit from the scene the storm broke a storm of resentment that swept betty james out beyond even the uttermost fringe of anglo-indian society she hunted up her generous old stepfather craigie and induced him to give her a cheque for a thousand pounds to get rid of her forever she realized another thousand on her votive offerings of jewelry and with this capital she took the dust of india from her pretty slippers here ends lord ronnelly's scurrilous narrative told at almax on her way back to england betty broke her journey at spain remaining there long enough to acquire three valuable assets a spanish accent a semi-tolerable knowledge of spanish dancing and the ultra-spanish name of lola montez by which through mere courtesy to her wishes let us hereafter call her 
she burst upon the british public only to retire amid a salvo of hisses and catcalls but the premature fall of the curtain at her majesty's theatre begins the odyssey of lola montez she went from london to germany where she danced for a time but scant applause at second-rate theatres and at long last could get no more engagements thence she drifted to brussels where according to her own later statement she was reduced to singing in the streets to keep from starving contemporary malice gives a less creditable version of her means of livelihood in the belgian capital it was a period of her life the black hour before the garish dawn of which she never afterward would talk but before long she was on the stage again this time at warsaw during a revolution she danced badly and was hissed but the experience gave her an idea she went straightway to paris where by posing as an exiled polish patriot she secured an engagement at the port st martin theatre it was her last hope the polish patriot story brought a goodly crowd to lola's first performance in paris but after a single dance she heard the horribly familiar sound of hisses and at the first hiss her irish spirit blazed into a crazy rage a rage that was the turning point of her career glaring first at the spectators like an angry cat lola next glared around the stage for a weapon wherewith to wreak her fury upon them but the stage was bare frantic she kicked off her slippers and then tore loose her heavy buckled garters with these intimate missiles she proceeded to pelt the grinning occupants of the front row accompanying the volley with high-pitched venomous billingsgate tirade in three languages that was enough on the instant the hisses were drowned in a salvo of applause that shook the rafters lola montez had arrived paris grabbed her to its big childish fickle heart she was a spitfire and she couldn't dance but she had given the parisians a genuine thrill she was a success two slippers and two garters hurled with feminine rage and feminine inaccuracy into the faces of a line of bored theatre-goers had achieved more for the fair artillerist than the most exquisite dancing could have hoped to lola was the talk of the hour an army of babbling ranelaghs could not now have dimmed her fame dujarrier all-powerful editor of la presse laid his somewhat shop-worn heart at her feet dumas balzac and many another celebrity sued for her favor her reign over the hearts of men had recommenced but lola montez never rode long on prosperity's wave crest a French adorer, jealous of Dujarrier's prestige with the lovely dancer, challenged the great editor to a duel. Dujarrier, for love of Lola, accepted the challenge, and was borne off the field of honor with a bullet through his brain. Lola sought to improve the occasion by swathing herself somberly and right becomingly in crape, and by vowing a vendetta against the slayer but before she could profit by the excellent advertisement 
dumas chanced to say something to a friend who repeated it to another friend who repeated it to all paris that set the superstitious mid-century frenchman to looking askance at lola and to avoiding her gaze said the monte cristo creator she has the evil eye she will bring a curse upon any man who loves her and by that perhaps senseless speech dumas drove lola montez from paris but she took with her nil her newborn prestige as a dancer's she took it first to berlin there she was bidden to dance at a court reception tendered by king frederick william of prussia the rooms of the palace on the night of the reception were stiflingly hot lola asked for a glass of water a much belaced and bechained chamberlain to whom the request was repeated by a footman sent word to lola that she was there to dance for the king and not to order her fellow-servants around the net result of this answer was another irish rage lola regardless of her pompous surroundings rushed up to the offending chamberlain and loudly made known her exact opinion of him she added that she was tired of dealing with understrappers and that unless the king himself would bring her a glass of water there would be no dreamy spanish dance at the palace that night the scandalized officials moved forward in a body to hustle the les majeste perpetrator out of the sacred precincts but the rumpus had reached the ears of king frederick william himself at the far end of the big room his majesty came forward in person to learn the cause of the disturbance he saw a marvellously beautiful woman in a marvellously abusive rage to the monarch's amused queries the chamberlain bleated out the awful sacrilegious shrekless tale of lola's demand the king did not order her loaded with chains and hailed to the dungeon keep instead he gave a laughing order this gracious and gentle sovereign who had so keen an eye for beauty a moment later a lackey brought the king a glass of water first gallantly touching the goblet to his own lips his majesty handed it with a deep obeisance to lola except for the advertisement it gave her she could gain no real advantage from this odd introduction to a king for next day she received a secret but overwhelmingly official hint that an instant departure not only from berlin but from prussia too would be one of the wisest moves in her whole career she went to bavaria and to greatness lola montez the spanish dancer was billed at munich theatre she danced there but three times for on the third evening the royal box was occupied by a drowsy-eyed sexagenarian whose uniform coat was ablaze with decorations the old gentleman was ludwig i dia gracia king of bavaria a ruler who up to this time had been beloved of his subjects and whose worst vice in his people's eyes was that he encouraged art rather than arms ludwig watched breathlessly while lola danced afterward he sent for her to come to the royal box and she presented to him she never danced again in bavaria for next day ludwig introduced her at court as my very good friend lola dazzled munich with her jewels and her equipage the king presented her with a huge and hideous mansion 
he stretched the laws by having her declared a bavarian subject and having done that he bestowed upon her the titles of baroness von rosenthal and countess von lanfeld next he granted her an annuity of twenty thousand florins things were coming lola's way and coming fast the bavarians did not dislike her at first when ludwig forced his queen to receive her and to pin upon the dancer emeritus's breast the order of saint teresa there was to be sure a shocked murmur but it soon died down had lola been content with her luck she might have continued indefinitely in her new and delightfully comfortable mode of life but according to lola's theory a mortal who is content with success would be content with failure and she strove to play a greater role than the fat one assigned to her by the love-sick old king she had read of pompadour and other royal favorites whose vagrom whims swayed the destinies of europe she sought to be a world power the power behind the throne the woman who could mould the politics of a dynasty and she laid her plans accordingly it was not even a dream this new ambition of lola's it was a comic opera fantasy bavaria at best was only a little german state with no special voice in the congress of nations and lola herself had no more aptitude for politics than she had for dancing nor did she stop to consider that germans in eighteen forty six were much more likely to tolerate a fair foreigner's meddling with their puppet king's domestic affairs than with matters of public welfare but lola montez ever did the bulk of her sane thinking when it was too late so she proceeded to put her idiotic plan into operation first she cajoled king ludwig into dismissing a body of his perfectly capable and well-liked ministry as delighted with that success as is the village cut-up when he pulls a chair from under the portly constable and with even less wholesome fear of the result to herself lola next persuaded the king to change his whole policy of state then things began to happen one morning lola awoke in her ugly and costly mansion to find the street in front of the door blocked by a highly unfriendly mob whose immediate ambition seemed to be the destruction of the house and herself this was the signal for one more irish rage the last on public record lola throwing a wrapper over her nightgown snatched up a loaded pistol and pushing aside her screaming servants ran out on the front steps at sight of her the crowd roared in fury and made a dash for the steps lola retaliated by emptying her revolver into the advancing mob events had moved rapidly since the primitive days when she was content to bombard her detractors with slippers and garter belts the rioters halted before the fusillade before they could combine for another rush and while lola from the topmost step was reviling them in her best and fiercest german a company of the royal bodyguard headed by the old king himself charged through the crowd and rescued the angry woman but though ludwig had just saved her from a sudden and extremely unpleasant form of death he was not strong enough to stem the avalanche of public opinion that crashed down upon her 
the same avalanche proceeded to brush lola out of her big and hideous house knock away from her her titles of baroness and countess and her twenty thousand florin annuity and to whirl her across the bavarian frontier were stern instructions never to return incidentally poor old king ludwig came in for so much unpopularity on her account that he was forced to abdicate thus in her own fall from power lola had also dragged a once popular king off his throne a noteworthy achievement in that pre-gabbe deslys period for an irish girl with a variegated past the ludwig scandal preceded lola wherever she tried to go the divinity that hedges a king was everywhere on guard against her the gate to practically every country in europe was slammed in her face folk fell to repeating dumas evil eye words and to applying them to the discrowned old ludwig lola montez was not wanted anywhere certainly nowhere east of the atlantic so she came to new york here there were no kings to bar her out lest they share ludwig's fate and americans knew little and cared less about the evil eye if lola montez could make it good on stage america was willing to welcome if not it had no further general interest in her moreover she was well past thirty at an age when the first glory of a woman's siren charms may reasonably be supposed to be slightly blurred new yorkers were curious to see her on account of her history but that was their only interest in her she danced at the old broadway theatre people thronged the theatre for the first few performances then having gazed their fill on the bavarian throne's wrecker and finding she could not dance they stayed away and lola ended her engagement at broadway to a hackneyed beggarly array of empty benches an enterprising manager p t barnum if i remember aright raked up the byron story and starred lola in a dramatization of lord byron's poem mazapipa but people had already looked at her and the production was a failure next she appeared in one or two miserably written plays based upon her own european adventures these too failed she then wrote a beauty book that had a small sale and wrote also a drearily stupid volume of humor designed as a mock guide to courtship on her way to america lola had stopped in england long enough to captivate and marry a british army officer healed by name but she soon left him and arrived in this country without visible matrimonial ties new york having tired of her lola went west she created a brief but lively furor among the gold boom towns along the pacific coast not so much by reason of her story as for the wondrous charm that was still hers she gave lectures in california and then made an australian tour coming back from the antipodes she settled for a time in san francisco there in rather quick succession she married twice one of her two california spouses was hull the famous pioneer newspaper owner of san francisco but she quickly wearied of the west and of her successive husbands back she came to new york and to the wonder of all and the incredulity of most she there announced that though she had been a great sinner she was now prepared to devote the rest of her life to penance strangely enough her new resolve was not opposed even in her heyday she had given lavishly to charity 
now she took up rescue work among women she did much good in a quiet way spending what money she had on the betterment of her sex's unfortunates and toiling night and day in their behalf under this unaccustomed mode of life lola's health went to pieces she was sent to a sanatorium in astoria long island and there in poverty and half forgotten she died kindly neighbors scraped together enough money to bury her thus ended in wretched anticlimax the meteor career of lola montez wonder woman and wanderer overthrower of a dynasty and worse than mediocre dancer someone has called her the last of the great adventuresses and that perhaps is her best epitaph her neglected grave in greenwood cemetery in brooklyn by the way bears no epitaph at all that last resting-place of a very tired woman is marked merely by a plain headstone whose dimmed lettering reads mrs eliza gilbert died june sixteenth eighteen sixty one age forty two one trembles to think of the near royal irish rage that would have possessed lola if at her baroness countess bavarian zenith she could have foreseen that dreary little postscript to her lurid life missive End of chapter one